Support for this episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere is made possible by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com and the Baker Street Journal, the leading publication of Sherlockian scholarship since 1946. Subscriptions available at bakerstreetjournal.com. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 112. Anno Holmes, 130. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. Your Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the Baker Street Irregulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Well, welcome to 2017, or as we call it, Anno Holmes 130, and... I hear of Sherlock everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. And I'm Bert Wolder, and it's 2.05. Yes, that's two minutes and five seconds into I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 112, and everything is going perfectly. Are, are, are you sure we're that far into it? Oh, uh, first mistake. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, well. <laughs> well, off off to an auspicious start for 2017. Yes. Uh, hey, well, this is our first podcast in 2017. It is. The, 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 the year is new. The, the podcast tapes are fresh and rolling. Mm. And, and here we go. Mm. We uh, just returned from the Baker Street Irregulars weekend, which is always a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drinks were drunk, food was eaten, people were met, <laughs> and uh, that's about it, really. That's that's the wrap-up. Bills were paid, streets were walked, chairs were sat in, teeth were flossed, no doubt. <laughs> it was great, absolutely great. One of the best. One of the, the passive best. voice was used? Yes. It's funny how that works. Passive, yes, eye contact was avoided and in some cases welcomed. Well, the good news is I think we, we made a lot of headway just in terms of seeing folks who have contributed to our website, guests we've uh, had on the show, and we've even managed to line up a few folks for later in the year for future interviews. So it's uh, it was a productive weekend for us, I think. Oh, it was great. I thought it was just great. And we got to talk to a lot of people and found out a lot of interesting things. And I got to spend some time... Uh, with you that um, didn't involve talking on a recording, and that was fun too. And it was a it was a really great gathering. Well, as far as you're aware, I wasn't recording it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Well, speaking of talking to people, why don't we let our friends at Wessex Press do the talking? Citizens of the ancient Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wessex have refused to support the return of the Burgle Hydage, King Alfred's taxation system. Apparently, nobody wants to pay for fortress repair. They have forgotten the lessons of history. But you don't. That's why you will want a copy of Sherlock Holmes and the Newspapers, Volume 3, from our Wessex Press. The last six months of 1893 live again as you read about the supposed death of Sherlock Holmes and witness Conan Doyle's rise as a celebrated author, carefully edited by Matthias Bostrom and Matt Laffey. There's a certain slant of light on winter afternoons that oppresses like the heft of old cathedral tunes. But you can banish winter's gloom with the pleasure only a volume from the Wessex Press can provide. Choose yours today. Well, they certainly had a table full of Wessex Press books uh, in the vendor's room this year at the BSI Weekend. Lots of great new stuff to uh, to look through there. And we're going to be having uh, at least one of those people uh, on the air with us later on this year. Mm. Stay tuned if you'd like to hear who that person is. I'm not going to. I'm just going to listen after the fact. You're going to tune out? I'm going to find out who it was once we issue the show, and then I'll... I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. So uh, let's, let's, let's do a little bit of recapping, because there, there were a few things that we wanted to touch upon um, and, and uh, talk about uh, some programming that's been on lately, maybe talk about some books, mm. uh, and then uh, wrap up with a little... Uh, Baker Street specific uh, lyrics that uh, we talked about in the last episode. Yes, and we got a lot of good feedback, I thought, from folks yeah. uh, during the weekend about that last episode and about the talented Karen Wilson, who, as I understand it, did uh, two more musical numbers during the weekend, one being a Leonard Cohen-like uh, treatment of a Sherlockian subject and the other being, uh, what was, oh, the 12 Days of Christmas, the Sherlockian 12 Days of Christmas. So I talked to Karen about that, and we've, I've got to follow up and get those tracks and see what we could do with hmm. them. So we uh, wound our way into New York City, and uh, I think Thursday, well, Wednesday evening is when it really all kicked off, wasn't it, with the uh, Ash Wednesday yeah. uh, gathering, which was uh, packed and raucous and just a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but it was one of these occasions of which we spoke a couple of episodes ago when we talked about society's gathering of uh, just it was an informal chance to eat and drink and get to rub elbows with fellow Sherlockians. It wasn't anything formal at all. Uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, you may have been tough pressed to determine that that was a Sherlockian gathering if you came in from off of the street. It was just a bunch of like minded people. Yeah, it was terrific. And we got to meet some old friends and make some new ones. I was uh, spent some time that evening talking to Bonnie McBird, who I was lucky enough to be sitting next to. And she's got a new book 
coming out, and Bonnie was eventually, and Bonnie was um, uh, still still um, rich with her information she acquired about the single malt whiskeys mm-hmm. of Scotland, and that was a lot of fun. And then, and then at the end, remember we bumped into Tom Wilshire, who had a lot of nice things to say about the podcast, and Tom. Uh, who is associated with the Cambridge University Press, told us that uh, within the next year or two, Cambridge will be producing a Sherlock Holmes companion. How about that? Yeah. Which, as Tom said somewhat mysteriously, will cover both sides. Both sides? Yeah, one wonders what that means. Both sides of the Atlantic? Hmm. Both sides of believers and non-believers? Hmm. Uh the, the the B cover? I mean, what, what, are, what are we talking about here? What do you think it means? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe both sides, you know, about the people who, as we do, rightly happen to know. I won't say believe. I would say know that Sherlock Holmes lives. And those people that think that, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of stories. Shame on them. Hmm. I've looked at homes from both sides now. That's all I've got. It's good. Give, give me a little more time and I'll go all Harvey officer on you. We do. Yes, we uh, <laughs> watch out or I'll call an officer. You know, and we really do need to follow up this uh, notion of a scion or some sort of compilation of Holmesian music built on things like that. And uh, what was the other song idea that we were... Oh, right, Homes for the Holidays. There's no homes like Homes for the Holidays. That, that's got to be something there. Because no matter how far away you roam... Uh, so that was um, that was Wednesday evening, and I, I don't want to belabor, you know, a, a recapping of the entire <laughs> schedule for everyone here, but uh, just kind of cut to some of the highlights. Um, we were fortunate enough, thanks to you, to have lunch at the Society of Illustrators oh, 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 yes. uh, in New York. I had never heard of the Society of Illustrators before. Um, you you want to you want to tell us just a little bit about that? Well, that's very unusual because they had heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, as we've talked about it in past uh, episodes, uh, for some time we've had a little uh, lunch, a very small group. It started as a way of people from Sherlockians from New England getting together um, yeah, a large number of years ago now. It's hard to imagine this has been going on for 14 years. And as our organizing principle we decided to devote our time to um, the memory of, of Frederick Dorr Steele, the first great American illustrator of the Sherlock Holmes society, uh, stories. And through some uh, an odd series of circumstances, we were reminded that uh, Freddie Steele was a member of the Society of Illustrators, and they have a museum. So the Society of Illustrators is located on... West 63rd Street. I think it's 168. No, it's East 63rd Street uh, in Manhattan. And they have a wonderful museum and a dining room. And so we were able to arrange lunch there and had a visit from a past president of the society who told us uh, the society was formed back in 1901 and Steele wrote about his membership of it in 19, in it in 1939 in an article in the Colophon. 
and we had a very nice gathering and a chance to salute Steele's memory and, more important, to be surrounded by magnificent examples of the art of American illustration down through the ages, from N.C. Wyeth to Norman Rockwell. And uh, they have a Hall of Fame, and one of the things we're going to be pursuing is nominating Frederick Dorr Steele for uh, a place in that august pantheon. That would be something if we could um, if we could make that happen. Well, and as a somewhat of a coda to that, on Saturday evening, I was at uh, a gathering of about you know, seventeen or eighteen people called the Pondicherry Lodgers. These are folks that uh, like Indian food, so we go to an Indian restaurant not too far from the proceedings, and uh, again just an excuse to get together but i was sitting across the table from glenn maranker who folks may remember from episode 79 a collector extraordinaire and i recounted my first visit to his home where i was greeted with a full set of frederick door steel illustrations from the adventure of wisteria lodge all framed in his hallway and he told the story about how he acquired them. There was some physician in St. Louis who had passed away, and um, Glenn bought them from the estate and framed them. And it, it's absolutely amazing to see them all together. Just, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a gallery exhibit uh, to see them. But it was just a a, a nice. A nice way to finish up the weekend, uh, reminiscing on the Door Steel illustrations after having celebrated Frederick Frederick Door Steel there when we kicked things off. Well, that's one of the great parts about the weekend is the opportunity to see people like Glenn from the other side of the country who is not all that often uh, on the East Coast anymore. So, right, right, that's great. But, you know, we had some lovely conversations that uh, stick in my mind. I can't remember how it came up, but you told me that great anecdote about, um, was it Mr. Rogers and the uh, Emmy Awards or a Lifetime Achievement Award in the Television Hall of Fame or something? Where he said, yeah. Where he said, take 10 seconds to remember. I found that, uh, uh, you know, really lovely anecdote. Yeah, this was... Uh yeah, he he wanted to to capture the attention of you know folks that were in the room, some two three thousand people in this you know large theater, as uh, Fred Rogers of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood fame was being honored for lifetime achievement. He said, you know, we we focus all too often on uh, fame and fortune, and we're fixated outward. He said, why don't why don't you just take ten seconds with me now and think of someone who has positively affected your life just take 10 seconds and he and he lifted his his wrist uh, in front of him and pulled his sleeve back to look at his watch and he said i'll wait and the room went silent for 10 seconds and the camera panned out and you know there were some close-ups and you could see some tears welling up in some of these celebrities eyes and he came out of it and he said he said isn't it Remarkable. The person that you just thought of right now, how they affected your life, and just think 
how touched they would be to know that you thought of them at this moment, whether they're in heaven or back in your hometown or wherever. It was just a, a wonderful reflection. Right? And we had talked about that in, uh, in, in respect to the technology ban that the Baker Street Irregulars put on the, uh, the dinner, which is fine. You know, it, I, I don't think uh, the world will uh, go awry if, uh, if, if we spend a few hours without our phones on. And uh, I just thought, wouldn't it be neat to open the, the Baker Street Irregulars uh, meeting like that and ask people to reflect on their first BSI dinner or their first Sherlockian meeting and, and the feelings that went through them when they walked into that room for the first time or met with a Sherlockian for the first time, curiosity and wonder and respect and awe and all of those things. And what a great opportunity for the rest of us to afford to people that were in that room uh, for the night for the very first time. And, uh, you know, just extend the experience. Yeah, well said. Well said. That's right. And that was a good conversation. And we uh, did a little reminiscing ourselves about our first BSI dinner. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I thought it's very nice to put your phones down and disconnect and... Uh, uh, you know, devote yourself to the experience uh, around you and the people you're sitting with, you know, rather than uh, staring at a screen. And, you know, personally, I felt, uh, I don't know, maybe a sense of relief uh, this year because for many, many years I had been, I had been the sole technologist the connecting the BSI to the outside world and, and felt a great responsibility to keep people up to speed on what was going on throughout the weekend. And because smartphones and technology is so ubiquitous, uh, it wasn't just during the dinner. I didn't feel the need to whip my camera, my phone out and be tweeting, texting and uh, taking photos at, uh, at every turn. Well, you know, there's so much written in the press today about mindfulness, and these things cyclically come back all the time about the value of meditation and mindfulness and other practices that have people living in the moment. All of which I take very seriously because I've meditated ever since I was quite young. And, um, however, um, you know, the new context today is the distraction of screens and constantly reporting. And the fact is that if you're in the mode of constantly writing down and informing other people about your experience minute to minute, then <laughs> you are probably not paying most of your attention to that experience. Uh, minute by minute. So it's a good thing, good thing to stop every once in a while. Yeah. You're, you're, you're actually not having that experience that you're writing about. Uh, no, I, I, I concur. So, uh, however, I did manage to, uh, I, I did manage to, uh, type down the names of the new, uh, the newly invested, uh, members of the Baker Street Irregular. So I managed to get that out, but. That was right at the very end. So, But that was very gratifying, you know, for uh, Charles Propolek and our friend Bonnie McBird and Mike Quigley and Tamar. Um, it was really nice to see uh, those, those folks among the new class of uh, invested irregulars this year. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, it's people that will continue this tradition on to the folks in their uh, their own circles, and um, you know this is this is just the beginning. You know, th- this isn't uh, achievement unlocked. This is kind of the new beginning, uh, as I heard Bob Katz talk about uh, that. It's really about um, uh, you know starting this tradition for uh, for other folks in order to uh, extend the experience to them. And the BSI dinner was notable for a couple of things. One is the number of anniversaries that accumulated around the dinner this year. It was the 300th issue of the Baker Street Journal. Mm. It marked Mike Whalen's 20th year as Wiggins and 20 years of the Distinguished Speaker Lectures on Thursday Mm. evening. Those are milestones indeed. So I had a conversation with somebody about this topic um, I'd be interested in, in your take on it. 300 uh, issues of the Baker Street Journal. And as we've talked about before, because they are one of our sponsors, uh, the EBSJ is, um, I think, the first, hmm, I want to say, 250 or so uh, issues on DVD, DVD-ROM. So, effectively, every time a new disc is issued, it's immediately out of date because, you know, the the journal keeps going on. So, is there a more effective way of issuing updates to the Baker Street Journal, particularly in this time when laptops, and most folks do have laptops, um are not being issued with CD or DVD drives. What do you think? Well, intuitively, uh, you know, since we live in an, in an, a world of instant access to databases and formats like the portable document format, uh, intuitively one would think that there would be uh, many easy fingertip type alternatives than um, – bothering to encode and compress and store information on a round piece of plastic and mailing it to somebody. Hmm. <laughs> Go figure. Um, <laughs> the, the question is, how long will it take for the Baker Street Irregulars to find out that something like that exists? Well, the, the challenge, I mean, I haven't talked to, I mean, it's a good question. I haven't talked to Stephen or anybody about it, but, you know, it would seem to me that, that, um, the model, you know, the revenue, I don't know what the revenue mix is, how much revenue the, the journal part of the operation derives from sale of DVDs and sale of magnetic media with information in it and how much derives from actual print subscriptions. But the issue at the end of the day is the money's got to come from someplace. And, you know, there are running costs in, uh, putting and laying out and putting this stuff together. And the, the digital subscription model, while it has some notable successes in general for magazines, is still kind of mixed. I don't know what it uh, – let's put it this way. If we, were, if we were starting a Baker Street Journal, it's hard to imagine that print today would be the place that we would be starting from. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't feel that um, – for, for most folks that, who subscribe to the print journal, 
that a digital subscription would necessarily um, replace it for them. Uh, I think the print subscribership would continue. And and frankly, you know, if you if you added a digital option to that for them, let, let's say they would automatically get those. Um, they would automatically get access to the archived uh, electronic issues at the end of every year. Um, you could you could put a, a slight premium on that, say another five dollars or something like that uh, for the year, um, versus someone who only wanted to subscribe uh, digitally, and, and you put a, a lower price on that. But that's effectively the cost of digital at that point is effectively nil. Because you're, you've already mocked up all of the pages for print. You've already got these files. Yeah. Uh, it's but, just making them available to people. Yeah. But the challenge there is that, um, you know, a lot of folks worry about cannibalization. So you need to be distributing to subscribers in a format. That's one of the reasons, you know, why there are Kindle formats and, and obviously Creative Commons with EPUBs and things like this. But you want to avoid a circumstance in which, you know, Dave and Karen get copies of the Baker Street Journal and pass it out to their friends, thereby depriving the BSJ of recurring subscriber revenue. And then, so if that's the case, then you've got to have the associated bandwidth and uh, management with some sort of a platform. If you're going to be distributing it as an ebook and how you're going to track that and the management of the rights, I, I would imagine that for folks who aren't uh, up to speed with it, it just seems very daunting. But again, I'm just babbling here. I, I've not had, uh, not exchanged a word with anybody on this subject other than you. Yeah, well, you know, I think you're you're hitting on some of the issues that constantly get batted around. But you know, while the while the BSI may want to stick its collective head in the sand during its dinner for four hours with regard to technology. <laughs> It can't do that for its publications for uh, the the continuing years. Do you know, I think it's remarkable how well you participate in this discussion, seeing as it is how you have no opinion about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I try to I try to maintain a fair and balanced approach here. I, I am like the Fox News of the Sherlockian world. No, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Where's my wah, 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 wah sound effect? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, dear. Well, it's a good subject. I'll tell you. You know, I'm a member of other societies that also put out publications. And one of them, uh, oh, to be completely honest, I have uh, a, an A case and a B case, a plus experience and, an, and a negative experience. So, to be completely okay. honest, as a member of the Public Relations Society of America, which has been around since the 1940s, I receive uh, at home as part of my membership a magazine. Uh, and, and parenthetically, I have to say I know some of the people who put these things out, and they do a great job in publishing and writing and editing. So I'm not being critical about the content at all. But to be completely candid, I get this uh, a monthly um, publication from them as well as a larger magazine on a different basis. And they, to me, they are staggeringly irrelevant. <laughs> you 
And uh, I can't fathom why the society bothers to print these things and send them to people, particularly when most of the other members of the society are younger than I am, and the vast majority of them must be accessing all of their information online and electronically. Now, conversely, I'm also a member of the uh, P.G. Woodhouse Society, Mm. and there is a quarterly publication that I get as a member of the P.G. Woodhouse Society that I genuinely look forward to. It is very simple. But when it arrives in the mail, like the Baker Street Journal, to me it's an event. And uh, I'll put it in my briefcase, and if I'm on a train, eventually I'll read it. And I wind up reading most of my journals while I'm doing things like going to meetings like the Baker Street Irregulars. And in fact, over this last weekend, I read the current winter edition of the, of the Woodhouse Society Journal. I loved it. And it's, it's very simple, black and white, two-column, stapled, eight-and-a-half by 11 journal, but... So, so it's it's odd, you know. And we'd like to hear. I'd like to hear from you know our listeners if if other folks have their own experiences with journals and things they get regularly. Mm. Because because in general, you know, I spent so much of my life in marketing, pointing out to clients that nobody remembers anything they get four times a year, uh, and usually <laughs> is a justification for not doing a print publication or doing something else in some other media. And yet, I happen to have that Woodhouse Society experience and my other experiences where I personally happen to value and look forward to receiving these things. So, so I haven't figured out, you know, exactly what the mechanism, the ideal mechanism or approach is here at all. That's interesting. And, you know, I wonder too if, uh, with the case of the PRSA uh, group that you mentioned there, if they keep putting out a print journal simply because it's something they've always done. And because they can turn to advertisers and say, well, look, we have a circulation of, you know, whatever thousand uh, we have, but not knowing, certainly, uh, whether those those uh, journals or pages are even opened. Mm. Uh, they, they could go right into the circular bin. Mm. Um, who knows? Right. And that, that, you know, that that's always been the trope about uh, advertising, as Wanamaker said, uh, I, I the problem with advertising is half of my money is wasted. I just don't know which half. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good observation. I hadn't thought about that. But it is the, it is the associated advertising in there that uh, probably provides the compelling rash, a compelling part of the rationale for putting it out in the first place. I, I'd forgotten that. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, as you're listening here, if, if you have a favorite Sherlockian publication – why don't you write in and tell us what it is, uh, whether it's one of the major journals or whether it's a newsletter or whatever. Uh, leave us a comment here uh, on on the show, uh, on the show notes at ihose.co slash ihose112. Uh, send us an email at comment at ihearofsherlock.com. Leave us a voicemail by calling us at 774-221-READ. Take out your phone. Press those numbers, 774-221-7323. The fingers you have used to dial are too fat. And, you know, if you're listening to us uh, in, um, in an open environment in your home, turn the speakers up now. We'll wait. Crank that volume up. Okay, are you up? All right, ready? Alexa, subscribe to the Baker Street Journal. 
I don't know how many Amazon Alexa owners we have there. And I don't even know if the BSJ is hooked in with Amazon. But, hey, speaking of which, why don't we hear from the Baker Street Journal right now? It's a new year, and that means new beginnings in many different senses of the phrase. One way to renew your lease on life is to renew your subscription with the Baker Street Journal. Still priced at $41.95 per year, it promises five issues. That's the four quarterlies, plus a bonus Christmas annual, chock full of Sherlockian edification, entertainment, and enlightenment. And new to the BSI Press this year are two volumes, one each from the Baker Street Irregulars Manuscript Series and the Baker Street Irregulars International Series. Delve into The Dancing Men with Dancing to the Death, the Manuscript Series volume, edited by Ray Betzner and David Morrill. Or set your sights on the Yukon North with Canada and Sherlock Holmes from the International Series, edited by Mark Alberstadt and Peter Calamai. There's so much to set your mind to in 2017. Make sure you start it out right with publications from the Baker Street Journal and the BSI Press. All of this and more is available today at BakerStreetJournal.com. Oh, that's very clever. I like that a lot. Hey, Alexa. <laughs> hey, Alexa, send $25 to Burton Scott. <laughs> hey, PayPal. <laughs> that word. Hey, Patreon. Hey, Patreon. Sign everyone up for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Well, it's a, it's a never-ending mystery there. But, uh, you know, I, there's, there's so many different ways to get news and information, whether it's from a hobby or a uh, professional organization or just the news media, uh, that uh, it's become such a complex environment, complex for the consumer uh, in which to find the right sources and certainly complex for the publishers as they try to figure out uh, this this publishing model, a revenue model, as so much is available for free. You know, it's, but, a, it's a fascinating subject, and I just remembered the last time, the last podcast, we were talking about New Year's resolutions, and your New Year's resolution, similarly to mine, was doing a better job on your paper reading. That's and, right. And one of the things that happens to me is I wind up with, you know, I'm in my office now and I'm looking at a stack that's currently about 10 inches high of my other interests, things like the New Yorker and uh, the stereo the stereoscop the stereoscopic society of America and their journal and other things that I haven't read and uh managing the paper, just the build up of paper things to read is also an issue. It is. It is. Well, this reminds me of a favorite scene from The Simpsons when Homer sits down on the couch and he says, Ah, finally, some time to relax and enjoy reading my old favorites. Honey roasted peanuts. Ingredients. Salt. Artificial honey roasting agents. Pressed peanut sweepings. Well, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, the, the, the Baker Street Irregulars weekend for many years uh, had its unofficial headquarters at the Algonquin Hotel 
uh, which was wonderful because it had such a wonderful literary history. Uh, it had Matilda, the hotel cat. It had the Algonquin round table. And when you checked into your room, there on the desk or lying on the bed was your complimentary copy of The New Yorker. And the Yale Club doesn't have that same association, sadly. No. And don't even get me started on the Roosevelt. <laughs> but they, but the, neither does the Algonquin anymore. Oh, they don't? No, I think all that's gone. The wallpaper with the Thurber cartoons, oh. the the lobby. Oh. You know, no. it's, yeah, it's changed hands so many times. I think all that's gone now. They The Oak Room is gone. They don't do uh, yeah, no cabaret. Yeah, no cabaret anymore. That's sad. Well, I'm glad we're not there anymore then, huh? Yeah. So what did you pick up uh, that was worthwhile at the, the vendor's room uh, this this year? What are you looking forward to reading? I got a copy of the latest BSJ book on the dancing men. Oh, yeah, Dancing to the Death. And I think we're going to have uh, the editors of that on and in a future episode. So that is one to uh, – to really check out. It's a wonderful uh, kind of oversized book. Um, I wouldn't, I, I, was it a quarto maybe, not an octavo? Um, because they, uh, a couple of years ago, they decided to, to increase the size of the book so you could see the uh, original manuscript better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a classic. So I'm looking forward to reading those essays and looking through that manuscript. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's high on my list. Yeah. And then uh, one I picked up that uh, we'll also have uh, the editors from this one on is um, Canada and Sherlock Holmes. You know, it's uh, I, I would I would kill for, uh, you know, the, the editor spot in the international series where I'm translating Canada or Australia or uh, the U.K., uh, rather than Japan or Scandinavia or uh, any of those other Italian or uh, Spanish ones, but uh, that's it's wonderful because it's another uh, <clears throat> another book in the uh, the international collection there too. So wonderful work coming down from uh, our friends in Canada. But there was no lack of activity in terms of Sherlockian um, retail going on there. So no. lots, of, lots of options, both new and old. You know, there were old books there and uh, rare things, you know, for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And there was, you know, brand new stuff for uh, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. So lots of different options for the collector and the reader alike. Yeah. So we also mentioned that we would uh, – have a passing reference to uh, programming. BBC Sherlock, as we record this, is in between episodes two and three. Uh, This show will come out on uh, the same day as episode three in series four, uh, which is titled The Final Problem. Uh, There's no telling how final that problem is going to be, since uh, we already had the episode where uh, Sherlock Holmes was seemingly done to death after tangling with Moriarty. Uh, we'll see what this final problem entails. But so far we've had uh, the six Thatchers and the lying detective. Uh, 
So it was interesting to see how those two episodes were inspired by, obviously, the six Napoleons and the dying detective. Mm. I thought you did a great job because you've continued the tradition of live tweeting during these broadcasts. And I recall one of the things we talked about at the BSI weekend was in the six Thatchers, your Mm -hmm. observation of two boats (laughs) um, in in the harbor there and their names. Yes. Uh, they were, uh, the, 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 the fishing boats. It was a scene where Mary was escaping. First of all, she was, there was a scene with her on a motorcycle escaping. And, uh, I tweeted the solitary cyclist and uh, then she landed in some Norwegian fishing port. And again, interesting there that she's on hiatus and we know a Nor or Norwegian named Sigerson was uh, one of the aliases which Holmes took when he was on the hiatus and the cannon. But uh, as she pulled into this port, there was a shot of two fishing boats and uh, in in Norwegian, uh, one of the boats was named the Speckled Band and the other fishing boat was named the Lion's Mane. Now, two instances of animals having done the crime um, rather than humans such a wonderful thing that your ability to free translate Norwegian is unaffected <laughs> by age. Oh, uh, well, unaffected by age and Google Translate. Thank goodness. <laughs> I don't want to give away too many of my secrets, oh, but okay. uh, live tweeting these shows, and this is our, our fifth go around, as I hear of Sherlock uh, everywhere, uh, live tweeting on behalf of PBS. You know, we were approached by uh, the, the team at Masterpiece PBS to say, would we participate in live tweeting of the episodes all the way back in season one? And we've continued it and, and we thank them for their uh, interest in having us do this. But, uh, live tweeting is not easy, uh, because that show moves at a very, very brisk pace. And the way we wanted to make it unique was to find the original references to the canon in these stories, you know, where they were inspired from and any, if we saw something in a set decoration or a prop or what have you, uh, talk about the significance there. And, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to catch a hundred percent of them. And I think the, uh, the, the showrunners are at a point where they try to be clever and they try to make it clear that they understand they're being clever. Uh, and that's annoying to a number of people who are following the show. And uh, I've, I've seen a lot of mixed reviews lately where folks are calling it um, almost like a James Bond franchise now. That it's, it's departed being Holmes and Watson and it's really gotten a, uh, a grittier, darker edge than it's ever had before. And that's troubling to some people. And you know, frankly, I, I think we need just need to remind ourselves that this is not the canon. It's inspired by the canon, just like Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. You know, Sherlock Holmes was not uh, fighting the Nazis in the, in the original stories. He was not uh, tooling around in, in automobiles and uh, chasing after voices on the radio and and all the rest. Uh, it's just another interpretation. 
And uh, if you're okay with that, I think then you know there's something for everyone. Yeah, I saw something in which Gatiss uh, penned a poem, much like Sir Arthur's poem about the doll and the, its maker, <laughs> and never the same. Yeah, it was a. I think it was a defense piece to a a critic who tore the latest episode apart. It ended with "What are the limits of human stupidity?" I remember that. Oh, I think we're finding them every day. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there's you know, there, there's an outlet for you. And, and frankly, if it gets you interested enough to go back and and uh, look up the stories. Works for me. You know, we all find our road to Sherlock Holmes in a different way. Uh, whether you started with the stories, whether you started with Jeremy Brett, maybe you started with Clive Marison. Maybe you started with Lucy Liu and uh, Johnny Lee Miller. Hey, I'm okay with that. Everybody's got their own vision of Sherlock Holmes in their head. And uh, the, the the coming together of... Friends, uh, new and old, at a, at an event like the Baker Street Irregulars Weekend is just another example of why we're all in this. Hmm. Hmm. You know, all that eating and drinking over the BSI weekend, it's... Um, it's high time to be gassy. It is, it is. And you know, it's a great diet. I really would argue this is the <laughs> best best way to lose weight because a couple of years ago, I got into this diet and it's just worked wonderfully for me. I eat everything I want, as much as I want, during the BSI weekend and then nothing the rest of the year. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's great. Well, and it's particularly dangerous now because we don't have to walk as far as we used to. Everything's in the same building for the most part. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like being on a cruise except the buffets aren't big enough. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> well, you may recall, if you were with us, last episode, 111 Hip Hop Homes, we talked about Harvey Officer and um, – you know, there's there's very little extant information out there in non-rare book form uh, about Harvey Officer's works. Um, however, we did go back to uh, the Baker Street Irregulars archival series that John Lellenberg put together. Uh, and we found a lot of mentions of Harvey Officer, both in... Um, you know, meeting notes and, uh, and and minutes and whatnot, as well as the lyrics to that that uh, song we were talking about, The Road to Baker Street, which was um, was modeled after The Road to Mandalay. And uh, we thought we might share those lyrics with you here. In a restaurant in Holborn, where young Stamford ate his lunch, he revealed to Dr. Watson news that proved a lucky hunch. For he did immortal service, whence his memory is bright. Introducing to the doctor, whom we honor here tonight. On the road to Baker Street, where Lestrade and Gregson meet. Where the art, 
of crime detection found its scientific feet on the road to Baker Street, where we sit at Sherlock's feet. And we read again the canon with the stories all complete. Now his eyes were sharp and piercing, and his nose was long and thin, and his hands were stained with acid square and prominent his chin. His tobacco in a slipper, in a scuttle, his cigars, with a gas gene and tantalus not found in modern bars. We begin in Baker Street on a day of wind and sleet, when the tall ascetic figure once again we gladly meet for the games of foot, he cries. From his bed must Watson rise, and they rattle in a handsome for adventurous emprise. But when the crime was on vacation, and the thugs were lying low, in his armchair Sherlock fiddled, scraping chords with careless bow. Chords sonorous, chords fantastic, how he did it no one sees, for you cannot play such music with your fiddle on your knees. Had we been in Baker Street, would those chords have sounded sweet? And would we, with Dr. Watson, have been patient and discreet? Ah, the years, how fast they fleed since those days in Baker Street. Let us hope that even Mendelssohn from him would be a treat. Ship me off to Piccadilly to a London's Bobby Beat, where a handsome cab would take me to the shrine in Baker Street. For the bells of London call me, and it's there that I would be, sitting in with Dr. Watson on a night-long story spree. O oh, ye sons of Baker Street, as we sit at Sherlock's feet, be ye sure the land that knew him shall not ever know defeat. For the men of England's fleet once again their foes will beat. Nor shall Axis armies ever tread the stones of Baker Street. I can see that's going to be the B-side of the album. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. And that's 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 a stretch. I mean, I would have gone for at least E, F, or G. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've listened to that Sinatra song. Yeah. Sinatra, did Sinatra? Well, he must have recorded it. He recorded everything. Oh, did he, rec- he did a yeah. cover of Road to Mandalay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, clearly a uh, a song uh, written and performed in World War II. Oh, yes, Harvey Office, Office's version, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, something a little different for you there. Excellent. <laughs> well, uh, one uh, last bit of uh, information. Of course, we, uh, we we've been collecting... Uh, lots of links and uh, Sherlockian news on our Flipboard magazine. That continues to be a thing. Uh, you can check it out at uh, bit.ly or ihose.co slash flip Sherlock, 
we actually had um, we had one thing that was uh, sent our way from a fan. Um, it was it's a Sherlock Holmes shaving soap from the Chiseled Face Groomatorium. Uh, chiseledface.com. It's it's Sherlock Tallow Shave Soap. Our Sherlock scent is inspired by the character brought to life in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in his classic series, lit, written in the late 1800s. It's a warm tobacco-based scent blended with toasted caramel, black pepper, moist dirt, and finished with a touch of leather, moss, mandarin, honey, and rose. And amazingly enough, it is in stock. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised that it's in stock. I just I'm surprised anybody dreamed this up to begin with. I mean, my goodness, dirt, tobacco, uh, what what caramel? What caramel? Black pepper, leather, moss, mandarin, honey, and rose. Well, that's if I got it. I must tell you that if I encountered that, I mean, no offense to these folks, and God bless them for creating a Sherlock Holmes shaving cream or a tallow soap. Uh, for for the ingenuity of it. So I'm not being critical, but privately, just between you and I, I have to say, if I got up in the morning and went into the bathroom and found a jar of that waiting for me, I would have the most luxurious beard anyone had. <laughs> well, in their defense, uh, the Chiseled Face Groomatorium, their, their uh, slogan is maintaining rugged good looks. So there you go. Yeah, it's funny because I've I've got a couple of uh, a couple of kids, teen preteen kids. I spend as much time as I can coaching them to get the dirt off of their face. Right. Well, if your goal is is rugged good looks, and you're operating this sort of. Uh, line of products and devices to enhance the shaving experience can the butter knife shaving razor blade be far behind <laughs> oh who knows who knows but well, we have uh marco to thank for that oh, so we, we appreciate you taking the time to share that with us marco um it looks like uh also in the news there is another Sherlock Holmes movie that is being produced right now, definitely a comedy, uh, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. It's just been announced that uh, Rafe Fine and Hugh Laurie will join the cast. Uh, no word on exactly what it is that they'll do, who they'll play. Uh, that's being kept under wraps, but this is a, um, a movie that is being produced by Sony. So expect to see, uh, more ridiculousness in the Sherlockian entertainment world before too long. Any idea when they start shooting this thing? They already have. They, oh. They've been in London doing their thing. So, oh. so are they uh, done with, with, uh, principal photographer? We don't know. I think it's still underway. It's still underway, so stay tuned for that. No idea who wrote the script? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. Hmm. Uh, um, let's see. 
Films produced by Mosaic and Gary Sanchez. Eaton Cohen oh, will right. do his own script yeah, hmm, about a duo that faces off against enemies across the globe. Hmm. So there you go. <laughs> and by the way, uh, last night, as we're recording this, last night was the Golden Globes Award ceremony. And Hugh Laurie, you mentioned the Woodhouse Society before. Hugh Laurie, of course, was in uh, Jeeves and Worcester um, and, of course, was in House, which has been compared many times to Holmes. Uh, but Hugh Laurie won a uh, Best Dramatic Actor Award for his work in The Night Manager on AMC, uh, which is a dramatization of a John le Carré novel. And if you have not seen The Night Manager, oh, my goodness. Stop what you're doing now. Well, wait till you get to the end of the show. Stop what you're doing now and go watch uh, The Night Manager. Really, really wonderful show with Hugh Laurie and Tom Hiddleston. He's a great actor, Hugh Laurie. I think he he wanted to make that that film for years and years and years. And uh, I'd, I'd watch him in anything. And he's a great pianist, a great jazz pianist. He is. He's very, very musically talented. Yeah, one of the best. Anything well, else? Well, speaking of one of the best. This has been. Yeah. One of the, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly it's the best show we've done in 2017. Yes, and it will remain that for at least another two weeks. Yeah. Well, until we get to 113, I remain Scott Monty. And I have no alternative but to keep on being Burt Walder. Fantastic. You do you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the game's afoot. You know, I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. 